Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. Um, I was sensing something this morning, and I've asked Ronnie Ladd if he'll come up. He's going to lead us in prayer. But a few weeks back, we were worshiping with Emmanuel Tabernacle, and we had Pentecost here, didn't we? And so I, I want to remind us that in the cultural climate that we're in right now, that we are God's Pentecost people who gathered together people from All nations gather together at Pentecost. And then we see it through Scripture that the church really is the only place that can promise that people from every walk of life, every language, every skin color, every background can come, and we are one in Christ Jesus. All of the social barriers, all of the social classifications, Galatians 3.28 says we are one in Christ. There's not another organization, not another body of people that can hold that out in today's culture, today's climate, and say that. And we are all baptized into Christ and filled with the same spirit, amen, and washed in his blood. And so I'm going to ask Ronnie to to come up here, but what I also want to do is push back on what the culture tells us and what media is hammering, and that is we're supposed to hate each other, and we're supposed to be suspicious of one another, and we're to be disunified. That is the exact opposite of the message that we have. The gospel says the opposite of those things, and you know what, friends? We have hope. We have hope. We have great hope that God is moving, God pours out his spirit in times like this and brings us together. So we want to make some space for that. Ronnie's going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll look into the scriptures. Thank you, Brian. One thing I know for sure is that uh, God is still in charge. Uh, He's still directing our lives. He's still directing the church. He's still directing our communities. Uh, My heart is heavy today, and I know many of your hearts are heavy as well, Uh, but we must address um, the things that are going on in our country, and uh, I think the church needs to be the voice uh, for those who can't speak for themselves. And uh, so I just wanna, uh, I wanna read a scripture uh, in first, uh, in second Chronicles. Chapter number 7 and verse number 14. And it reads, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that? If we just start to pray and seek God's face, he will heal our land. It's time for the church to pray, get on our knees, lay prostrate, and he will heal our land. He'll bring justice where there is no justice. He'll bring peace where there is no peace. 
So we must pray, get on our knees and lay prostrate before the Lord so that he can bring healing uh, to our land. So let us bow. And if you want to, you can reach out and touch the person next to, next to you and, and I just join forces. Sometimes these are difficult things to talk about, but I know that God can speak to our hearts in ways that no one else can. So, so Father, we just, um, Father, we thank you most of all for this day. We thank you for your love, your kindness, and your tender mercy. Father, I know that um, you have all power in your hand. You control the universe. You control the earth, God. You, you control our lives. So, Father, today we ask uh, that you would root out hatred, that you would root out darkness, God, and that your light shine. Father, I pray right now that you would touch every heart, touch every family. Father, those who have evil and uh, ill will intent, God, that you would change their hearts, God, that you would bring them up from the pit of hell, God, and set their feet on the right ground. Father, I ask that you would rule in their hearts, rule in their families. Father, even touch them right where they are. Father, I pray for protection over every African-American family, over every Latino family, every Caucasian family, God, for all families all over this earth, God, that you would protect them from danger seen and unseen. And Father, I even pray right now, God, for our police officer, God, who are standing in the gap, God, who stand for righteousness, who stand for justice, God, those who have good intent, God, let your love overcome evil. And Father, I pray that you would root out the evil in every law enforcement, in every entity in, on this earth, God, where they, where they have evil intent, God, that you would bring correctedness in their lives. And Father, I just pray your protection over this earth, over our communities, over every family, over our churches, God. Give us a voice to speak right now. Speak to truth. Let us speak the truth in love because love covers a multitude of sin. And Father, where there is sin, I pray that you would bring your goodness and your love, God, to bring correctness in these last and evil days. Father, I pray for uh, those who right now, God, who uh, our law enforcement and our uh, legislative leaders, God, that they would make right decisions, that they would right, make right decisions, God, that they would cross party lines, God, that you would rule in their hearts, that you would rule in their hearts right now to make the right decisions, God. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, a Republican or independent, God, we are all your people called by your name. We are all your people who are called by your name. So I pray your strength, I pray your mercy. Father, I pray that you would rule, let your love rule in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, Ronnie. We get to hear from Ronnie in July. He's going to preach on prayer. I think he's prayed a little bit. He is prayer. He and Constance are prayer. So why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, the peace of Christ be with you. It's what they would do in the early church in the first century. They would exchange the, the peace that we have in Christ. I have good news this morning. You want some good news? A quick update regarding the RCA, the Reform Church in America. We got word back from them. We got an email this week. And for those of you that are new, we are in the process of uh, seeking to not be affiliated with the RCA and then to affiliate with the Vineyard Association of Churches. So we got an email this week and the special committee 
formed by our regional network, the Classis. Um, they were evaluating our request to leave, which we filed some time ago, and they issued their report. In short, they have recommended that we be allowed to disassociate from the RCA denomination. That is good news. And so the final decision will be made by the classes as a whole, which according to their communication this week, should happen at the scheduled meeting this July. So there are lots of nuances and details to that, but I just want us to take a moment and give thanks that the Lord's working it out. It's been a pretty arduous process. We've tried to be honoring and kind, and some of you remember the meeting that we had a few months ago. Um, things are moving forward, and we're thankful, aren't we? We're grateful. So now we get to uh, wait a little bit more and uh, watch as the Lord moves. All right, so that's good news. It's good news. We're moving toward the vineyard. All right, today, if you want to take your Bible and open it to Revelation 10, and I say that because the old school approach to bringing your Bible, having a good study Bible, having a notebook, yes, you can look at it on your phone or up here on the slides, but there's something fun about having a Bible that you spend daily time in and you have notes in it and history. So I would encourage you to get a good Bible. And if you don't have one, you can look in a pew here. We have NIV Bibles that are hardcover. And we have NRSV, the black cover there. And if you need one, you can take it. All right, that can be your, your Bible. Because we are people of the book, aren't we? We love to worship and we love to look into the scriptures and hear the Lord's truth for us. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the truth. Truth for us is not an abstract idea. Truth is a person. And so even in a cultural moment like this, when all these various things are happening, we have the person who embodies the truth of God, who walks among us, and who indwells us through the spirit of truth. So friends, we got a good thing going. It's called the church in 2021. So chapter 10 here, we're in part 12. And just so you know, next week, we're going to have a moment. We're going to pause on Revelation. And Al King, one of our elders, next week is going to be talking about uh, how to approach the scriptures, cultivating a life in the scriptures. So today, a couple of comments before we read chapter 10 and talk about the angel with the scroll. Just a reminder that the whole book of Revelation is a book that fuels worship and empowers witness. That's what we remember during every reading of each chapter. This book is meant to embolden the church in all times and all places to endure hardship and to be faithful witnesses to the gospel. We've also seen over and over again, haven't we, that the book flows from a vision of God. Just what we were singing about this morning. God, the holy creator, and Christ, the lamb, on their sovereign thrones, ruling and establishing their kingdom. If you remember last week, we looked at chapter 9. We looked at, we're looking at a series of judgments, discipline for those who say no to God in the last days. And we looked in chapter 9 at trumpets 5 through 6. 
and we're doing our best to stay out of the weeds, but we're trying to keep that overarching picture in mind that God, through Christ, is directing human history and establishing his kingdom. So today we're going to look at chapter 10. We're going to look at three things here. We're going to look at this angel with a little scroll, which will make more sense in a moment here. This angel is going to make an oath, going to declare something. And then thirdly, we're going to look at John being recommissioned to prophesy his message to the nations. So if you want to look at chapter 10 there, I'm going to read these 11 verses. And if you're able, why don't you stand up? We do this sometimes, and especially if it's not 22 verses. (laughs) This is 11, so I think if you're able to to stand just out of honor for this book and the giver of the book, the Lord Jesus. They read this in the first century, and there's a blessing in it. That's what chapter 1 says. So Revelation 10, beginning at verse 1. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He held a little scroll open in his hand, setting his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He gave a great shout like a lion roaring. And when he shouted, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel to whom, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea in the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Verse 8, then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Then they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the word of God. You can take a seat. So we're looking at this passage about the angel with the scroll We see in verses 1 through 4, it's really focused on the angel with the scroll. I don't know about you, but I wonder, who in the world is this angel? Anybody else think that? You hear it, and it sounds like an angel, but then it sounds like more, and there's some characteristics here. And so people puzzle over who exactly this angel is. There's a few viable interpretive options here. One is that it's Christ. Couldn't you see that as you hear the description here? It actually resembles the description of Jesus in chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. Some of you may have remembered that. 
this fourfold description actually suggests deity. What does the text say here? The angels wrapped in a cloud. There's a rainbow around the head, just like there was in chapter 4 around God. The face, what's the face like? Like the sun shining, like it said in one, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 about Christ. His face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And then his legs are like fiery pillars, kind of like Jesus' legs were like fiery bronze that had been purified in chapter 1. So some people say this is Christ. Could you see that? Possibly. But I don't think that it is. Christ is never called an angel in Scripture, particularly the book of Revelation. There are other mighty angels mentioned in chapter 5 and chapter 18. And then this angel is swearing to God, swearing by God. And so that seems like an inappropriate thing for Christ to do. So that leaves us with, who is this angel? I've been thinking about this all week. Some of you are saying, that's strange. But I read and I'm curious. I want to know what the scriptures are teaching here. I think a more compelling view on this is that it's a revelatory angel. It's a special herald of Christ. One commentator says this, this is not Christ, but it is a special herald or messenger of Christ who shares in his glory in a mysterious way and in his mission. It may be the angel of the Lord that you read about in the Old Testament. Friends, in the end, we're not sure. I do know this, who is the Lord of all angels? Jesus, right? So whether this is some mysterious messenger that kind of reflects some of his qualities, perhaps, I'm not sure. The text doesn't say, but I think the more compelling argument here is that it is a special messenger of Christ. Someone else has said this. I think this is rather beautiful because these images are filled with meaning and with depth, and we're leading the early church to meditate on them. Listen to what this commentator says. The point is that it is the same divine presence that is going to protect and guide the faithful witnesses of the new Israel in the wilderness of the world. As Revelation 11 through 12 and other chapters show, therefore the angel is an angel of the Lord who is to be identified as that. So like the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this angel was higher in status than any other angelic being. So what is he holding in his hand here? And again, our point as, as we walk through these passages is to make some sense of them, to use revelation, to interpret revelation, and to use the Old Testament. Because I've mentioned time and again that John's mind was filled with images from the prophets, Daniel and Ezekiel and Hosea and others. So look at verse 2 here. This angel, probably a special herald or messenger of the Lord, is holding a little scroll in his hand. Now, if you remember in chapter 5, we saw another scroll, didn't we? You remember it had seven seals on it. Some people say, well, is this the same scroll? I don't think so. 
It's a different word that's used. It's definitely connected. I think that it's probably a smaller portion of that larger scroll. And it's symbolizing that. The scroll in chapter 5 contained God's complete plan of salvation. Do you remember that? You remember John was grieving. He saw the scroll in the hand of God and no one could open it. And then one came forward, Christ, the Lamb of God. And he alone was able to open it and break its seals and implement God's plan of salvation for human history because of his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, to the Father where he rules at the right hand of God. So I think that this is a smaller scroll that focuses on one aspect of that broader plan. It's probably a message for the saints who are suffering in the last days. So I think in chapters 11 and 12, it's unpacking what the message is in that scroll, and that's it. It's basically endure in Christ, cling to the King. Lift up your head. Keep your eyes on the one who has suffered and given you an example through his death and resurrection. What's the angel doing here? I've got an image that I want to put up here. I think this is actually by William Blake, the great poet. He was a great artist here on the left. He was giving a rendition of this Revelation 10 angel as he was meditating on it. You can see this mighty angel and all the descriptive qualities around him. And then you see John there, little John, on the island of Patmos. And you see in the angel's left hand the scroll that's being extended. I also put up another picture because I think that many who would have heard this would have thought of this image. So if you'll put this next image up here. Sometimes I like to point out some historical context because the original readers would have had images like this in their mind. They would have heard stories. And this is actually the Colossus statue at the island of Rhodes. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 105 feet high. And it was basically a deity of the city of Rhodes. It was built about 300 years before Christ and it was overlooking the city and it was standing there at the entrance. And so I think that the Lord does this in scripture oftentimes. He will take an image that was familiar to people in their cultural context and he'll put a new spin on it. And it actually subverts some of these gods and deities. So what the text is probably saying is This angel is bigger than Colossus. This angel is a mighty angel, and it kind of supplants and pushes out any vision that they might have of the Roman Empire's gods. So he's placing one foot on the sea, and he's placing one foot on the land. What might this mean? Do you remember we talked about when you place your foot on something, it means you're taking dominion over it. We looked last week that Christians actually place their feet on snakes and scorpions spiritually. So we have authority over all the power of the enemy. And so this mighty angel is exhibiting that 
through God's power, through God's dominion, God actually rules all the seas and God rules all the land. And so, friends, this is an ongoing meditation on the majesty of God, on the majesty of his servants, on the majesty of his plans for the nations. What's the angel doing here? It's giving a great shout like a roaring lion. And when the angel shouts, these seven thunders are sounding. What I love about this, what I love about chapters like this, is it takes you into other scriptures that you might not naturally go into. So again, I encourage you, get a good study Bible, a good NIV or New American Standard or NRSV study Bible, and some of the footnotes would help you see this. Because friends, this is rich If you think about it in terms of when thunder occurs in the book of Revelation, it means God is coming. The Lord is going to move. The Lord is going to visit and manifest his presence. He's going to bring deliverance and redemption for his people. And he's going to bring discipline and judgment for those who will not repent. And so this is being signaled yet again. The thunder is sounding. And the angel is letting the earth know, letting the people know, God is going to come and get directly involved again. What about these seven thunders? Is that interesting? Seven thunders, what is this? It's these seven thunders. So John and his audience probably knew exactly what that was. If you dig into Jewish commentary on this, There's a rather beautiful image from Psalm 29. Psalm 29 speaks of the Lord announcing his coming to the earth. And it mentions his voice thundering seven times. Listen to this. Psalm 29 at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord flashes forth with flames of fire. The voice of the Lord causes the oak trees to whirl and strips the entire forest bare. And in the Lord's temple, all say glory. So probably what this text is saying, the angel speaks And John and his readers would have been familiar. Seven thunders sound forth. Can you imagine? Of course, John wants to write down what these thunders, what the voice of the Lord is saying. And what's he told? Seal them up. You can't record this and you can't share it. Unlike the rest of the book. In chapter 1, John was told with his initial encounter with Jesus to write down and to communicate what he's saying. Well, this is not the case here. Now John is told to seal up what these mysterious seven thunders have announced. So this suggests, listen to this, this is beautiful. This suggests that the whole revelation to John was not exhaustive. There was so much more to God, the nature of God, the depths of who God is, the mystery of God's ways. Some of you may remember, if you've read 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4, Paul was caught up into heaven and had visions. 
And the Lord told him that they were things that he couldn't share. So it's something similar here. As wonderful and detailed and amazing and glorious as the book of Revelation is, there's always more. There's always more. And so I think that's what that verse is suggesting. Let's look at the oath here, verses 5 through 7. The voice of the seven thunders are sealed up. But then on the heels of this, the angel declares out loud an oath to God about God's unfolding plan of salvation. Let's do this. I know there's a lot here. I want to take 30 seconds again. I want you to sit. You can chat with the person next to you. This is dense meditation on the scriptures, and I like to do that. It kind of gives us a little breathing space. So take 30 seconds. You can chat person next to you, put in a stick of gum, whatever you want to do, and then we'll come back. All right? That may seem a little peculiar to you, but I spend a lot of time in the classroom, and I think sometimes we just need a moment to catch our breath. And this stuff is like multi layered meditation on Scripture. And so I want to invite you into meditating on this amazing book. On that note, I mentioned last week that in our resource center, we have this little booklet for prayer called A Door Opened in Heaven. Connie put this together for us. It's 21 days of worship from the book of Revelation. And I would encourage you to get that and to begin to pray. Again, the early church read this aloud. It was a manual. It was a letter that was meant to engender worship in the heart of the church. And friends, they read the whole thing in one gathering. So can you imagine 22 chapters of this stuff? It's like Filet after filet after filet of meditating on the truth of God. So that's why I'm giving us a moment here to clear our minds. So verses 5 through 7, the angel is making an oath. And the background for this, like many of the passages, is from Daniel. Daniel 12. Daniel sees two angels and one of them makes an oath. I think an important thing to remember too here is the prayer of the martyrs in chapter 6. They prayed at verse 10, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you act on our behalf? These are saints that have been killed for their faithfulness to God and his word and for declaring the gospel in a time of persecution. We saw that the fire of God is cast on the earth in response to this. But here, what's it say at verse 6? The angel is saying there will be no more delay. So the martyred saints of God, I think initially in that first century and then throughout the course of church history up until the final moment, the last days of the last days, the Lord said there will be no more delay. Some of you may wonder, as I do, I read this book over and over again and I think, who will live through this? Are we in the last days? 
Let me just ask you, are we in the last days? Yes. You know what? Jesus said it. Paul said it. Paul, meditating on the the teachings of Jesus, said, friends, we're in the last days. Brothers and sisters, we are in the last days. The age to come has broken in upon us. We are last days people. So sometimes when people come and say, well, is the book of Revelation for the last days? Or when? I'm, yes. And you, friend, are in the last days. We are in the last days as God's last days people. So human history has been invaded by the kingdom of God, and we've talked about it. We're already not yet people. The kingdom is here, and yet the kingdom is coming. So it gets strange when people try to take passages like this and say, there will be no more delay in 2021. I always look at that and say, I don't know. I think that we have to deal with this in a very cautious way. The the end will come, the end, the end, when the Lord decides. Amen? Jesus said, no one knows except the Father. Says at verse 7 that the mystery of God has been fulfilled, which he announced to his servants, the prophets. This is a gospel-saturated passage here. The mystery of God is God's redemptive plan, and it can only be understood as God reveals it. That's what the text is saying here. Amos 3.7, which this language reiterates here, God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So the angel is making a declaration here that the mystery of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the good news of the kingdom is coming to a rapid conclusion. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 here. John is recommissioned to prophesy. The voice that's speaking with John, it's probably God, tells him to take the open scroll from the hand of the angel and eat it. Some of you may have read the interesting and peculiar book of Ezekiel. Well, this is reiterating what happened with the prophet Ezekiel in chapters 2 through 3, where he was instructed also to eat a scroll. John is called to eat the scroll, to actively ingest it and appropriate it. One person says this, this is the complete appropriation of prophetic revelation. John is to assimilate the content of the scroll before communicating it to others. Every true prophet of God or prophetic person knows the absolute necessity of this crucial requirement. Friends, this is such a beautiful image, not just for John, not just for prophetic people, for the whole church. How are we to relate to God, the revelation of God in Christ? We're to eat it. I've mentioned this over the weeks. What a beautiful, beautiful image this is for us. And each week we come hungry to ingest and eat the word of God. And then during the week we feed ourselves by the grace of God on the nourishment of his word. This is right in the center of the book of Revelation, and it's an invitation to the church to feast. Feast on this. Don't avoid it. Don't neglect it. Feast. I encourage you every day 
And I know we're busy. We're all busy and our schedules are crazy and all, but if we can make time for the podcast or a little bit of music or whatever it is, we can certainly make time to feast on the truth of God's word. Now more than ever, we need the truth washing over our minds and our hearts every day. So find ways to do that. We have on our website, olcc.org, resources. We have a whole menu of different approaches to reading the scriptures each day. And there's a, a wide variety of reading plans there. Some are weekly, some are on themes, some are year-long. So I just invite you, friends, to eat the word every day. It's balanced nutrition. And by the grace of God, through his word, through his spirit, he matures us and prepares us for hard times, just like it was for the first century believers. Now, it's interesting here. This is the whole counsel of God. What happens is John does this. He's recommissioned to prophesy, but there's something sweet about it. Those of you that have prayed the scriptures and used the Bible as a way to communicate with God, Psalm 119 talks about it. Lord, your word is sweet as honey to the taste. I delight in your word every day. It's my meditation all day long. David was obsessed with the sweetness of God's word. Yet, that's not the whole picture, is it? There's bitterness to it. What do you think that might mean? It means that in the message of Revelation, in the whole counsel of God, there are things that are difficult to digest including the book of Revelation. Amen? So it might give you a little heartburn. But we're called to feast on it all, from Genesis to Revelation, the stuff that is sweet about the beauty of God, about the grace of God in Christ. It's a whole message, though. And so the book of Revelation, in this hour, calls us to a place of maturity, we deal with God disciplining the nations. We deal with God bringing his just and fair judgment and truth to bear on the nations of the earth. And so if we're mature and we're eating the word of God every day, we're more likely to have the work of scripture like Rolades happening as well. There's sweetness to it and there's bitterness. So friends, I've shared with you reading this, Teaching through it is difficult. There are moments where I have lots of heartburn, lots of esophagitis, right, where I'm just going, how in the world can I digest this? But then I come back to it and go, Lord, it is sweet, it is good, it is wise, and I submit to it. So help me digest it. Help the church, help our lords to feast on your word as much as we possibly can. Let it renew our minds. Let it take root in us. Let us be washed in the water of the word daily. So John is giving himself to this. He was a man of the word. We know it because all of these chapters are filled with images taken from the scriptures. He has feasted on the word, and yet the mighty angel says, feast some more, John, because I'm going to recommission you to prophesy. One commentator says this about John being called to prophesy about four things. Verse 11, 
He's called to prophesy about peoples and nations and languages and kings. One commentator named Mounts says this, John's mission is to lay bare the forces of the supernatural world that are at work behind the activities of people and nations. And friends, we are the prophetic church. We are filled with the same spirit that was on and in the Apostle John. And the beauty of Pentecost is the prophetic ministry is democratized. It's distributed for the whole church. So I'm inviting us in this moment to feast on the word of God and to speak his truth. To let the word of God settle deep within you and to share it with friends, with family, with others outside the church. We'll focus more on this in chapter 13, but I want to end with this. The message It's interesting. We've encountered this peoples and nations and languages, but the message changes here. It's kings. Earlier, that wasn't listed, and I think the text is saying that the word of God rules and reigns over the kings of the earth. So as John declares this, as John commits it to writing, the word of God rules over all world leaders, over all kings, over all presidents. So we rest in that, the power, the infinite power of his word. And friends, we have the opportunity every day to get into it and to let it get into us. Sometimes, if I can be honest here, we're in the middle of a series and I think, ah, Lord, there's broken marriages. Lord, there's inner healing that needs to happen. There's deliverance. There's loneliness. There's addiction. And the Lord says, if you will get into my word, I will go to work in the church. And oftentimes, we go into the problems. And so this morning, I invite you, give yourself to the word of God. Get under the waterfall every day. Make room for it. Say, Lord, make me obsessive. Give me a new addiction. The revelation of your word. And you know what happens? The Lord tenderizes your heart and you love your spouse more. Lo and behold, you're a better husband, a better wife, because you're spending time at the feet of Jesus in his word, eating the whole counsel of God. Well, I'm lonely. Spend time with the Lord. Cultivate friendship with him. Ask him for friends. Plunge into community. Get into a group. Friends, there is, I, we can sit here and look at the problems, but the solution is to get into God's presence. And if you say, well, I, I'm not very disciplined, I'm not very good at that, ask someone else to join you. Say, hey, do you want to sit under the waterfall with me a couple times a week and let's read scripture and proclaim the truth to each other? The Lord will go to work and change us at our core. So I wrestle with this every week. Some of you are like, well, I'm used to more practical preaching. And teaching, can we do a series on, and there's a time for that. But I'm sensing the Lord say, I've arranged the Bible the way that I have. And so if you will walk through it the way that I've outlined it, I will release the power of my word in my people and it will change lives. Amen? And I know that's difficult for some, and I I hear you on that, but I am committed more than ever to take a passage like this, walk through it simply, and invite you to nourish yourself tomorrow morning or at night 
Maybe nighttime is the best time for you to spend time with the Lord. But friends, get lost in the word of God. Find your identity in Christ Jesus as you read the word of God. Amen? So Lord, why don't we stand? Worship team can come forward. Lord, we ask for a stirring of hunger and passion and holy addiction to your word. And I just sense there are some people saying, well, I, you know, I can't do that. I'm not disciplined enough. The Lord says grace to you, the grace and mercy of God. The Holy Spirit who gave us these words will give you hunger and discipline. So, Lord, would you do that? We rely on your grace and your mercy. Take us deep, deep into the truths of Scripture. Make us a biblical people. We want to be rooted and empowered people of the book, people of scripture, and people of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up. And on that note, you can put this in your phone or scratch it down. I meant to announce this earlier, but with everything going on, May 23rd, right after church in a month, May 23rd, I'll have more information about this, at 12.15 in the Fellowship Hall, which is just uh, to the left of the main entrance over here, we're going to have a brief training time for the prayer model and for ministry teams. So if you're interested in learning how to pray for other people, how to pray for the sick, how to pray and let the Holy Spirit go to work, then you can come. When is it? May 23rd. And again, we'll have some information coming out, and I'll share a little bit more next week. But it's 12.15 to 12.45, only 30 minutes. Seems to be one of the most convenient spots. And we'll go in there and we'll talk and, and do some training and activation on prayer ministry. So if you need prayer today, we've had the Lord healing, haven't we? We've had the Lord doing some physical healing, some healing of hearts, but if you're sick in your body or you need a breakthrough, you can come up and let one of these friendly people pray for you. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the truth of his word be with you this week.